Good evening, everybody. Um, we will continue with our series in Galatians, and we're up to Galatians chapter 2 tonight. Before I uh, jump into that, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you again for your word. We thank you for this book, uh, the book of Galatians, and for the truths that it contains. We ask again tonight that you'll help us to understand this passage and to understand what it means for us as we follow the Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. The book of Galatians is Paul's first letter that he wrote and wrote very early on, uh, just after his first missionary trip and before the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. Um, we can't be uh, absolutely dogmatic about that, but that's my belief of where it fits in. When we read any of the New Testament books and Galatians in particular, um, we are listening to and one side of the conversation and you have to read that side and take guesses and assumptions about what the situation is and what's going on and usually we can do that reasonably accurately and sometimes um, not fully accurately for instance imagine if you were listening to someone who had a phone call and you're hearing just their side of the conversation let me role play that for you so I answer the phone hello it's arrived. Congratulations. How big is it? How long? What do you think I am talking about? Conversation goes on. What colour is it? Ah, yeah, they usually are. Is it petrol or diesel? Does it have air conditioning and sat nav? Is it automatic or manual? Will you keep the old one? What do you think? is the situation. What do you think that conversation is about? Let me give you one clue. Uh, the clue would be that I'm in the country, living in the country, and I'm talking to a farmer. Now what do you think the conversation is about? Well the conversation was really about me talking to a farmer who just got himself a brand new tractor. So when we come to the book of Galatians, we are hearing one side of the conversation. And sometimes things read strangely. So we have to assume and guess what the conversation was and the reasons behind it and that helps and particularly in this passage some of the things that have been written for us to make a little bit more sense. The Apostle Paul who had been through the region of Galatia and founded some churches had heard on his return to Antioch um, that there had been troublemakers that had followed him and they're not only through Galatia, but they're also in Jerusalem and they're also now in Antioch itself. And he writes this letter, Galatians, to correct the false teachers. They were saying things like, Paul got his gospel second hand. He wasn't part of the original 12. He didn't meet Jesus. He wasn't at the cross or at the empty tomb. Um, so he got his gospel second hand and it's likely that things had changed, that he got some things wrong and he's left something out, something very important out and we're here to teach you, these false teachers would say, the whole truth. We're here to help put it right. We know from chapter 1 the Apostle Paul has answered that by saying that he didn't get his gospel second hand but in fact he got it directly from the Lord Jesus himself. We can't divide Jesus and the Apostle Paul, they work as one in presenting God's truth. 
Um, so Paul got it direct. But the false teachers would say he left out one thing. One thing is necessary. Certainly Paul led you to Christ, but we will lead you further on. We will help you to mature. For the false teachers, their gospel was belief in Jesus plus. In their instance, it was plus circumcision. That it was necessary for them, for you to be saved, you needed to be a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was circumcised. All of the 12 apostles were Jew and they were circumcised. So if you want to be saved, you need to become a Jew and you need to be circumcised if you're a Gentile as well as believing in the Lord Jesus. So their slogan, if you like, is Jesus plus circumcision to be saved. Um, so Paul calls them out on this and in this chapter he's going to tell us some of his own personal journey as he started in chapter 1 of why what they're presenting is incorrect. Um, they called themselves Christians, these false teachers, but Paul calls them false brothers, that they didn't really follow the Lord Jesus um, because we know there is only one Christ and there is only one way of salvation. It's in Christ alone plus nothing, Jesus alone. But of course, let me say this, if you are in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a born-again Christian, then something else will follow. It's Jesus only saves us. But if we're really saved, then we will also serve and obey Him. Um, our good works follow our salvation. They don't save us. They show that we are saved. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about that, I guess, as we go through. Rough chronology is uh, the Lord Jesus was crucified in AD 30. Um, Paul was converted a few years after that, not long, AD 32. He goes off to Arabia, he tells us in chapter 1, for three years. So about AD 34, he is back in Damascus, he goes to Jerusalem, pays his first visit. Then he goes back to Tarsus, he's there. And he tells us at the beginning of chapter 2, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. We don't know if the 14 years is referring to 14 years after his conversion or if it's 14 years after his last visit to Jerusalem. It doesn't make a lot of difference to how we understand the passage. Um, but Paul has been back to Tarsus and then to Antioch and this period of 14 years is passing and uh, in Acts chapter 11 we are told that in that period of time there was going to be a famine. We know from Josephus a, Jew, a Jewish historian, that this famine was about the late 40s throughout the Roman Empire. It was in Judea, 46, 48, somewhere around there. So this is about the period of time where the Apostle Paul is referring here in Galatians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul had been chosen and prepared by the Lord Jesus to be his apostle. He was called to preach the gospel and... Um, he received personal tuition, training, teaching from the Lord Jesus in Arabia. And the apostles in Jerusalem recognized this calling on his life. And they treated him as an equal, not as an inferior one, like the false teachers were suggesting. 
And if that's the case, then it would appear that the Apostle Paul is the one who replaced Judas, not Matthias, as in Acts chapter 1. Uh, so in Galatians chapter 2, verse 1, this is happening something like 14 years later. The Apostle Paul goes up to Jerusalem. It's with that famine relief. He's taking the food that the Antioch church had and money they had collected to support the poor people, those suffering the famine in the, in the city of Jerusalem. And he takes with him Barnabas and he also takes along Titus. And it's significant because Titus is a Greek. He's Gentile. He's not Jewish. And therefore he is not circumcised. And it's like Paul is taking Titus as an example of someone that he ha was the fruit of his ministry of presenting the gospel. Now, significantly, verse 2 says, Paul says, I went in response to a revelation. We're not given the details of the revelation, whether it's directly from the Lord or through an angel or however it came, a vision. But Paul is going to Jerusalem in obedience to what God wants him to do. God wanted him to go to Jerusalem. God wanted him to present his gospel to set it out before the Jerusalem apostles, um, not to get their approval, because he didn't need that. He already had that directly from God, but rather to get their agreement, their understanding that he and they were on the same page. Because you see, that's where the opponents were try trying to drive a wedge between Paul and the original 12. Um, and they were saying things like, it says in verse 2, um, I went in response to Revelation. The meeting was private with those who were esteemed leaders. I presented them to the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not run my race in vain. That's the phrase I think the Apostle Paul is echoing. That's what they were saying. They saying that <clears throat> I had distorted the gospel and that I'm wasting my time. I'm running in vain. <coughs> Excuse me. So the Apostle Paul is wanting to answer that criticism and to pass that on to the Galatian Christians. So Paul goes up in obedience to the Lord. <clears throat> the amazing thing is that when he gets to Jerusalem, verse 3 says, um, yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. False teachers are wrong the Jerusalem apostles are agreeing with Paul and with the implications of the gospel. Paul wasn't summoned to Jerusalem by the apostles. He didn't go there to report to them as an inferior. Um, as I said, he went not for their approval, but for their agreement because God was looking for them to be united. In chapter 1, Paul has told us very strongly that he was independent of these other apostles that he didn't get his gospel from anybody nobody told it to him he got it directly from God from the Lord Jesus himself and he's been true and faithful in teaching it but now it would appear the Lord wanted the apostle Paul to be in union with in harmony with the apostles in Jerusalem that later generations including us would see that they are not two gospels there's one gospel there might be different fears of service and different focus, but there is one gospel. And so Titus is a test case and a proof of that. And Paul says, this matter arose, this became a situation, verse 4, uh, because some false believers 
had infiltrated our ranks to spy on our freedom. So they'd snuck in, they were deceptive and sneaky, and they intended to bring us back under the law, to remove the freedom that we had in Jesus, and quite literally, to make us slaves under them. That they wanted to be the leaders, they wanted to be the ones overseeing us. And the Apostle Paul says, verse 5, we didn't give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. These false teachers, these opponents of the Apostle Paul had uh, infiltrated the churches. They weren't open-minded or teachable. They were convinced that they were right and they intended to force their convictions onto others. But Paul resisted them. Um, didn't agree with him, didn't yield, didn't concede and he didn't hesitate. In this paragraph and passage, the Apostle Paul talks about, um, it could be misunderstood to be being a little bit derogatory or dismissive of the leaders in Jerusalem. Verse 6, as for those who are held in high esteem, whatever they are makes no difference to me. God doesn't show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. About three or four times in these 10 verses, the Apostle Paul refers to the leaders in Jerusalem with that sort of tone, those who were reputed to be pillars or those who seemed to be important. <clears throat> and I want to suggest to you, the Apostle Paul is not being derogatory and he's not being dismissive. He's quite respectful of the other apostles. But again, he's echoing the words of the opponents. Um, the opponents were the ones who said that the Jerusalem apostles are to be greatly and highly esteemed. They're the original and they're the only ones. They elevated them, but they dismissed the Apostle Paul. And so Paul writes, verse 6 and following, uh, what they were makes no difference to me. Well, firstly, because he knows that God had called him and had taught him. But secondly, um, I... Paul says, I may not have been one of the original 12, but what they were, apostles who had travelled around with Jesus in his earthly ministry, that doesn't make any difference to me. They don't have any higher authority than me. Um, I'm not intimidated by them because I had exactly the same experience, just not in that earthly ministry of Jesus, but rather in the deserts of Arabia. Um, so Paul wasn't fussed by their credentials or their spiritual experiences because he had the same. But the Judaizers, you see, the, the opponents of Paul had so inflated them that the Apostle Paul is trying to bring a balance. So the question really becomes, what did the Jerusalem apostles think of the Apostle Paul and of his gospel? And the answer is, they didn't add anything, they didn't take anything away. Uh, he says in verse 6, they added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been given or entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, to the Jewish. And he goes on to say that God was at work in Peter and God was at work in me, both the same. So the Apostle Paul is being very clear. The, uh, the Jerusalem apostles received him as an equal endorsed his message, that it was the same message and his experiences, and they added nothing to him. 
They didn't add anything to his message, nor he to theirs, by the way. They didn't approve it. They didn't amend it, edit it, change it, <clears throat> modify it in any way. They simply accepted it as it was. So Paul's apostleship was denied by the false teachers, but it was never questioned by the original and genuine 12 apostles. Verse 6, they never added any information to him. Verses 7 and 8, they acknowledged that he had his own sphere of ministry and operation. He had a different audience, but he had the same apostleship, the same calling on his life. And in fact, <clears throat> he was part of this apostolic family, this apostolic fellowship, verses 9 and 10. And in fact, the ones that he names, James and Peter and John, along with Paul, those four are responsible for writing 21 out of the 27 books of the New Testament. These are the key significant leaders. Those same leaders recognized the Apostle Paul, verse 9, that God had given him grace. They came to understand that God was at work in him. So they extended to him <clears throat> a beautiful phrase, but something we used to do, but now can't do because of COVID-19, the right hand of fellowship shaking of hands, very ancient custom um, that hopefully one day we can return to. What it meant was a recognition that you are part of the family, that we agree with you, that we are in relationship, friendship with you and we trust you. You, are, um, sh you share in common with us. Again, you see that emphasizes the false teachers, the Judaizers are wrong. Um, there's no need to be circumcised There's in order to be saved. That's Jesus only, not Jesus plus. In verse 9, the end of the verse, they also agree that on their ministry focus, Paul will continue to minister to the Gentiles and Peter will focus on ministering to the Jewish people. Not exclusively, but primarily. There was no conflict and no competition. There was no jealousy between them. They were both serving the same Lord together to achieve his purposes. God is the one who placed them there. God is the one who was at work in them. They simply concluded, verse 10, the only thing they asked of the Apostle Paul was that uh, he would remember the poor, the very thing Paul says, I was eager to do all along. In fact, that's why he was there, Acts 11, to deliver food as well as money for the poor in Jerusalem. History informs us that Jerusalem was never economically independent. Its population was always underemployed. There was always poverty. They did have a welfare system, which was pretty remarkable. Once a week, if you were unemployed, if you were a poor person, then uh, you would receive a basket of food, of bread and beans and lentil, and you could make a stew and that sort of thing. Fruit you would receive in season. During Passover, there were various meal options and provisions made for you so you could participate in that. So they tried in the city of Jerusalem to care for their poor. But it would appear that when you became a follower of Jesus, that the Christians were excluded from that. And so the Christians in Jerusalem particularly were those who were suffering from the famine, those who were suffering from unemployment and from lack of support. And that's why the apostles said, remember the poor. Um, and the Apostle Paul says, 
I was very keen and very eager to do so. And as you read through his letters, you'll find in Corinthians and Romans and several times in Acts that he does exactly that, raises money to take to the church in Jerusalem. <clears throat> the principle for us coming out of that is that our correct beliefs, correct doctrine, should always issue forth into Christian behaviour, Christian duty that our beliefs are to have a practical outworking and demonstration in our lives. So in Galatians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul explains that he is independent of the Jerusalem apostles, that he got his gospel directly from Jesus. In Galatians chapter 2, he is explaining his interdependence with the apostles, that there is an essential unity between them. There was harmony and cooperation. They're in the ministry of the one true gospel, just in different spheres, Jewish and Gentile. So the truth is that we are to accept no alternatives and no additions to the gospel. Um, so the Apostle Paul and the Jerusalem Apostles, Peter, James, John, they agreed and were united. That means for us that the good news of Jesus, that Jesus is God's Son, of his death on the cross and his resurrection, the empty tomb, of grace and forgiveness, of adoption into God's family and partnership with him in mission cannot be improved. This is the gospel. This is what we stand on and stand for. The passage also teaches us that the Great Commission requires cooperation between churches, that we should celebrate what God does through others. But we must stay true to the gospel. It's not just about cooperating and being friendly. It's about being committed together to pass the baton of truth to the next generation. That's what God calls us to do. We summarise. <clears throat> Paul was an apostle before he met the other apostles. And when he did meet them, he met them as an equal. He was an authentic apostle and he was, uh, had an authentic gospel message. The false teachers, they either want to add something, Jesus plus, and so too today, they'll add a book, like the Book of Mormon. They'll add an experience, you have to speak in tongues, or they'll add some sort of behaviour that's mandatory. You've got to be like us. That's false teaching. Or they'll sometimes not just add, they'll actually take away, they'll remove. And that certainly happens in our world and in our day as well. Uh, they soften the gospel by, well, it's just Jesus and nothing. It sounds true, it sounds correct, but what they mean and what they do is that they make a decision to follow Jesus, but they don't obey Jesus. They don't do the will of our Heavenly Father. That's what Jesus says. Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. So as I said before, it's Jesus only, not Jesus plus anything. But when you have Jesus, it will lead to a change in your life, that you will serve him and that you will obey him. Paul was saved by Jesus, not in Judaism, not by Judaism, but he was saved by Jesus from Judaism. It took him out of it. But these Judaizers wanted to take the church and Christians back into it, back under the law. God wants Christians and churches to be united, to stand together, certainly against false teachers, 
but to stand together in proclaiming the truth of the gospel. God is the one who places us where we serve, as he does Paul and Peter. And it's wonderful to read how God is at work in his servants. Hence our church mission statement, working with God in transforming people into passionate followers of Jesus. God is at work. He works in us to change us and through us to change others, to honour and glorify Jesus. The right hand of fellowship reminds us that we are to be cooperating and united with other churches in the work of the gospel and that we are to remember the poor, that we are to be practical in the demonstrations of our belief in the Lord Jesus, to care for others. May God bless you. Let me lead you in a prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the gospel that saves that redeems and that changes us. Thank you that you are the sovereign God who places us where we are in order to serve you, that you work through us to achieve your mission and your will. Lord, can you help us to extend the right hand of fellowship to others, to other churches, to other churches that are true to the gospel? And we pray for your blessing to be on them in the work of the gospel, and particularly during this very difficult COVID isolation time. And Lord, as it's on your heart, help us to remember and to share with the poor, with those who are struggling, with those who are disadvantaged. Help us not simply to talk about it, but help us to do it, in order that you might be pleased and glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.